And I just wanted to say a big thank you for all the love and support um, that you've given to Rebecca and I. Um, it's just been amazing. Like we, um, it means so much to us to be um, loved and supported by this uh, community of friends and, and family. Um, I, know, um, I know that Bex is the youth pastor. You know, she's um, won a lot of your hearts through um, just working with your, your kids and um, being fun and engaging with them. But um, I guarantee she's won my heart more. <laughs> uh, so that's enough of the soppy stuff. Uh, but I just did have to say that. So thank you again for everyone who's um, sent us messages and um, liked our Facebook posts. <laughs> hey, but now that we're engaged, I kind of find ourselves in this, in this new reality. It's like things have suddenly, suddenly shifted. Um, we, it's affecting our decisions going forward about how we spend our money. It's going to affect the decisions, and because of that, what food we get to eat. <laughs> um, and then also, apparently, like, shredding for the wedding is something, so that affects what food I'm going to eat. Um, it affects, like, travel decisions, like, when do I go overseas? Can I go overseas? Um, and it's because we're living in, in anticipation of this thing that's going to happen. And, and it also means that some things I'm going to have to leave behind, you know? Like, I can't just spend on myself whenever I want, you know, like just those sudden guitar purchases. Apparently, apparently you get in trouble for that kind of thing. Um, um, having a messy room, I'm going to have to sort that out. Um, hey, wow. Actually, I don't know if any of you know Rebecca, I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. <laughs> um, but nothing like firing shots at your fiance. Um, um, but there's some things that are going to have to be left behind. And um, there's kind of like this new, new reality we're in, right? Um, and, and Bex didn't actually know me at high school, um, which, which I'm quite grateful for, um, because that was kind of a different reality then as well. And I, and I think if she had known me at high school, she might not have said yes. Because um, how many of you had a cringeworthy phase at high school? Come on, come on, yeah. Um, well, I did. I had an extended one. And um, because I trust you and love you so much, I'm willing to show you some photos of my cringeworthy phase. So <laughs> that is, yes, that is me in year 13 of high school. I'm ready to go to the ball on the right-hand side, so straighten my hair. <laughs> and, um, and that's me on the left, like, rocking out. Um, I, was, I was into some heavy metal at the time, loved playing guitar, and it's difficult for me to look at those photos. Um, so let's pull them down. <laughs> next, next slide. But when, when I went to my um, high school reunion, and we had our 10-year reunion a few years ago, which shows you how old I am, but um, went along to that, and the interesting thing was that my classmates, they expected to see that version of me. And, that, and the interesting thing was some of them still interacted with me like I was that person. And I just, it was a weird experience. It was like, I, I felt internally saying like, that's not who I am anymore. My reality has changed. That's who I used to be, but not anymore. And I'm guessing that most of us would have some form of version of ourselves that you could look back at and say, that's not who I am anymore your current reality has dramatically shifted from what it used to be. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's not who you are anymore. And, and yet sometimes you're confronted by the old reality, right? Sometimes you, uh, these worlds clash. 
about five years ago, there was a, um, a video that went viral. Um, and five years is a long time in the internet world. Um, so you, you might have seen it. But there was this viral video. It featured a homeless army veteran. His name's Jim Wolf. And Jim was 54 years old and had slipped into um, an alcohol addiction and was living rough on the streets. Um, and the video showed this time lapse of a makeover. You can pop the, pop the image up of this makeover that happened um, through this charitable org organization. They brought in stylists to trim his beard and his hair, and they put on this sharp suit. And um, the video ended by saying that after the makeover, um, Jim had taken control of his life, and had, um, he was getting treatment for his addiction, and he had some housing teed up ready to go. Um, so it was a very moving video, um, all about you know, dignity and restoring that to people. Um, and it now has over 25 million views. The only thing is that a couple of weeks after the video was released, um, Jim was actually arrested at a Burger King for trespassing and creating a disturbance. And he later admitted that he had gone back to drinking. His old life had come crashing into the new. And look, I'm not judging him for that because this is a complex thing and really you can't expect a makeover to do that one time. But there was this wrestle going on between this new life and the old life. It, they came clashing together. And this contrast between an old life and a new life, um, this is one of the issues that the Apostle Paul wrote about in his letter to the church in Colossae. And we call this letter the Book of Colossians um, in the Bible. And, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been diving into this book um, together. So two weeks ago, uh, Matt spoke about uh, how Paul opened this letter by talking about Jesus as this awe-inspiring king that holds all creation together. And, and last week, um, we heard from Lee in an awesome message about building your life on Jesus, which Paul was encouraging the Colossian church to do. Um, so now we come to Colossians 3, and Paul is directly addressing this kind of identity crisis. Now that you've begun this new life, you're not who you used to be. You're living in a new reality, a whole life with Jesus, a new life with Jesus. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get into it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us um, to guide us, to speak to us, to teach us, God. And I pray this morning by your spirit that your word would come alive to us. I pray that we'd be ready to hear it. And God, I thank you for this new life that you've made so readily available to us. May we live in a way worthy of it, God. Amen. Okay, so let's turn to Colossians 3. We're going to, um, however you want to do that, we're going to start with verses 1 to 4. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, it's easy to just breeze past these first two words, since then. But what Paul is doing with these first two words is linking everything that he's about to say with everything that's come before in this letter. So this is a pivot point. He's saying, since Jesus is the image of the invisible God, 
since all things were created through Jesus, since God has reconciled us back to him through Jesus' death, since we were raised with Jesus, since we've been brought to fullness, since your new life is found in Jesus, then live like it. And uh, if, you, if you want to go back, I, I really encourage you, read the first couple of chapters just to know what Paul is saying here, or go back and listen to the audio from the last couple of weeks on, the, on our website. But Paul is saying, in light of all of that, live like this is your new reality. Make Jesus the center of your life. And that's why Paul emphasizes this phrase, with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ. You will appear with him in glory. Our new reality centers on Jesus. And this chapter is unpacking what this new life looks like. Okay, so we're going to look at a few of the things um, in this passage that Paul instructs the Colossians and, and by extension us to do. And the first is to set your heart and mind on the things of God. Set your heart and mind on the things of God. And in the verse, you would have seen it says, things above. Uh, and this is a kind of shorthand for the things of God. Um, not talking about literally up in the sky, but the, the things that are of value and importance above what our immediate earthly needs are. He says, set your hearts, um, meaning to, to, to focus your affections on. And you know, there are so many things competing for our hearts. Do you know that? The competing for our desires. And that's why marketing companies will pay big money to read your emails, <laughs> to find out what you're searching for, um, to the things you're viewing. Also, they can get to the core of what you desire. Have you ever come across an ad um, you know, on Google or just you know, on social media that's like a little bit too specific? Like it's the exact pair of shoes you were just searching for? <laughs> or, or, or an engagement ring or something? Um, it's like, it's like, and it's a little bit creepy. You're like, man, you know too much. And they're trying to get to the things that are closest to our hearts. And just by the virtue of our culture, the, the sea that we're swimming in, our hearts and minds can be captivated by lots of different things. Um, by the idea of success, of you know, finally making it, whatever that means can be captivated by popularity, um, getting the most likes on social media, can be captivated by recognition, um, you know, striving to be well thought of, can be captivated by things, just accumulating stuff. Um, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And um, it's, people often highlight that it doesn't say that money is the cause, it's the love of money. And the reason is that it drags our affections, our desires, away from God where they're intended to be. So what's competing for your heart right now? If you want to know, we move towards the things we love. Our desires shape us, they, they direct us, they, they shape the decisions that we make. Um, there's an author and theologian, his name's James K.A. Smith, and he's written about this topic in a couple of books. Um, and one of them is called, uh, You Are What You Love. And this is what he writes. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires. To hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, 
the kingdom of God. It's good, eh? Align our loves and longings with His. That's what Paul is writing. And, and he also says that God wants our minds too. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And, and by this, he means to intentionally concentrate on the things of God. It's, it's an intentional way of thinking first about God's kingdom. You know, we live in an age of distraction. Um, we've got notifications coming at us every minute of the day. Um, things compete for our affection, um, but they also compete for our attention. Um, the New Zealand road toll last year, 2017, um, it was 380, and it's the highest it's been in seven years. Um, and it's been rising every year for the last five years. And there's lots of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is driver distraction. Um, it, I found some stats on it. It said, talking on your mobile makes you four times more likely to crash, and yet over 60% of Kiwis admit doing it. I found an American stat that said texting while driving, because it takes more of your attention away, is six times more dangerous than drunk driving. So, of course, if we saw a driver on their cell phone, we would say, don't do that. Focus on where you are and where you're going. Don't get distracted. Focus on where you are and where you're going. And, and this is what Paul is writing to the Colossians. He's saying, don't get distracted. Focus on where you are and where you're going. Your, your new life in Christ has begun. You're on this journey. So make that your priority. Don't get distracted. That's what setting your mind on the things of God is. So how do we do this? How do we set our hearts and minds on God? Well, first, spend time with Him. You can't grow a love relationship without spending time together. Carve out time to spend with God in your weekly, your, your daily, your weekly, your monthly, your yearly rhythms. And um, I love what Lee had to say last week about some specific rhythms that are really helpful for this. Go and check it out. So spend time with Him. Commit to Him. Love grows best in the context of commitment. It's just kind of on my mind at the moment. Um, uh, so uh, saying, <laughs> this is saying to God, I choose to seek you in good times and in tough times, and I will make a commitment to do that. This is where love grows. We can evaluate things with a long-term perspective, and by long-term, I mean eternal. So not just how things feel or seem at the time, but for a whole life with God that extends into eternity. You know, you could devote all of your time and all of your energy into growing wealthy, um, but that doesn't translate into your life forever with God. What good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your soul? Approach life with an eternal perspective and choose to think about the things that reflect God's glory. So Paul writes elsewhere in, in Philippians that to think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. And he's not talking about ignoring the hard stuff that exists in our world. He's saying don't waste your, your thought energy on things that are going to fade away with this world. And just a quick aside on that. There's so much in the entertainment world um, that I'm talking TV, movies, games, music, all of that stuff, that is actually focused on destruction. The destruction of relationships, the destruction of people, um, the destruction of homes. And 
I just wanted to throw that in there as a little heart check. If the things that the games that you're playing or the movies you're watching or whatever it is that you're that's coming into your mind and heart, if it's focusing on relational breakdown as entertainment or killing as entertainment, um, then I think you need to check that out <laughs> and check your heart and mind. And I just want to invite you to read Philippians 4 and then weigh it for yourself. Okay, so those are some of the ways that we can set our hearts and minds on the things of God. So Paul continues, if we want to live this new life with Jesus, then we need to deal to old ways. So we'll pick up in verse 5. This is what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once had, once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Whoo! <laughs> Paul uses heavy language here. Whoa, there we go. I feel like a dubstep song right now. Um, I really do apologize for the crackling. It's whenever I look left. Yeah, I could do that. Um, <laughs> he's saying, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. That's heavy language. He's saying, but that belongs with the old life. That's not who you are anymore. And this whole passage, it brings up the topic of sin. And sin is a word that carries a lot of meanings for different people, depending on what your background is. Um, and I, I, simply put, I'd say that sins are actions or thoughts that are outside of what God has made us for. They are against his design, and so they eventually lead to damage and death. So a lot of people think that sin is kind of a word for, for fun stuff that God doesn't let us do. <laughs> you know, like a mean parent saying, no, you can't have a cookie from the cookie jar. But the Bible repeatedly tells us that sin is actually the stuff that leads to hurt, that leads to brokenness, that leads to death. And God wants to keep us from that. He's more like a parent saying, don't go out and play on State Highway 1. Because <laughs> it may give you a rush for a little while, but you're going to get hurt. So when Paul writes these instructions to put these things to death, he's saying, distance yourself from this old life. You know, cut it off. It has no place in this new life of yours. Um, you may remember a movie um, called 127 Hours. Um, it's based on a true story about a rock climber named Aaron Ralston. And in 2003, he was climbing um, alone in a canyon in Utah um, when a 360 kg boulder he was climbing down came loose. The boulder crushed his hand and his wrist and pinned him against the canyon wall. And for six days, he hung there, struggling to free himself while fighting off dehydration and hypothermia. And he was trapped. And because he was facing certain death after these six days, he got desperate. And so he decided and managed to break his own arm and, and hack through it with a multi-tool that he had in his kit. Um, and then he abseiled down and walked to his freedom. Yeah, so watch the movie, you'll love it. Um, 
But, you know, it's gruesome, but this is kind of a picture of what Paul is telling the Colossians to do. These are things that are pinning you down, and they're keeping you from being fully alive. In fact, they will take you to your death. So cut them off. Get rid of them. Don't have anything to do with them. Uh, so it's important to say the Bible is not primarily a rule book. But in places, in parts of it, it's really clear about things that have no part of our new life in Jesus. And, and what Paul writes in this passage is one of those places where he's very clear. So he says, put to death sexual immorality. And, and God has a really high view of sex and intimacy. It's so high that he protects it within the context of marriage, a lifelong commitment. And outside of this, it, it massively amplifies the damage, the potential for damage um, that it can do to two people on a relational level, on a spiritual level, on a psychological level. You know, being unfaithful to a marriage partner can, can shatter families and cause unspeakable hurt to a spouse. Um, it can ruin careers. Paul's saying, don't go there. That doesn't belong with this new life. Impurity and lust. He's saying even if we avoid physical sin, if we go there in our thoughts, it can have the same effect internally. And lust can distort the way that we view other people. And, and, and that's why pornography is so damaging um, for guys and for girls who uh, view it. Um, because as well as creating all sorts of unrealistic expectations, it actually distorts the way that you view other people. It, 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 it makes people view others as a vehicle for their own fulfillment. That's not reflective of this new life. Paul writes, put this to death. Evil desires and greed. Um, and this comes back to the affections of our heart. Anything that overtakes God as our number one desire, as our top priority, um, is an idol, which Paul writes here. And greed, well, it's a type of sin that's a little bit harder to identify than some of the others. Um, but our culture is badly infected by it. Self-seeking is the opposite of God's way. So put, put that to death. And then what I want to group together is damaging behavior. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. You see, the way that we speak to one another, the way we treat one another, is massively important to God. Because he can't stand it when his children decide to cause damage to each other, for whatever reason. And there's a massive amount of power in what we say. We have the power to build others up. We have the power to tear them down. And these things, they affect us, the, the person saying them as well, which is why I think he includes filthy language, because it doesn't reflect the new life that we have, and it draws us away from it. Okay, so there's some pretty... Some pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> Are we doing okay? Yeah, okay, cool. Paul says, put these things to death. Like, cut it off. It has no place in this new life. So whether it's these things or, I mean, this isn't an exhaustive list, but is there anything in your life that is keeping you from living fully alive with God? Do you have something pinning you to that canyon wall that you need to cut away? Is something keeping you from living a life that's consistent with a new life in Jesus. Think about it now. <laughs> Is there anything? Because God's inviting you to lay it down, to put it to death through Jesus. And I just want to say, you know, whatever you feed in your life will grow. Whatever you choose to feed in your life will grow. Um, when, did, when did Minnie have kittens? Was that 
Uh, December. Okay, so the lilies have a cat. Um, last December, um, they had kittens, and one of them was uh, one of them was called Orlando. I've got a picture of Orlando. There's there's the little kitten, kind of rat-sized, um, and um, that's how um, Orlando started out. And um, Orlando now calls home the the Humphreys place, um, and apparently gets fed pretty well because that's what he looks like now. <laughs> Whatever you feed will grow. <laughs> and you know what? Sin dies by starvation. So Paul's saying, don't feed it. Feed your new life. Let's keep moving. Verse 8, he says, we are all being renewed. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Now, we have this hope that our new self is being renewed more and more into the image of God. Um, and do you know what that means? That means that we're not complete yet, that we are all works in progress. I don't know if any of you um, went to university and then started um, a, your first job. Um, what you find out very quickly is that you know nothing. <laughs> that um, you've got your degree, but you're starting this new job, and you're, that's when the real learning starts. Um, and in the same way, though we've put on the new self, yes, that is our new reality, but we're works in progress. We, we have some training and some completion to happen. Um, and the reason I bring this up is that it's important to say, like, we went through those list of, like, sins and hurtful behavior before, but if any of those things have been present in your life, in your journey, in your story, then they don't define you. Paul wouldn't write to this young church of Christians to say, put those things to death if they couldn't be put to death. He wouldn't write about them if they weren't a current reality that they were trying to work out too. Um, so these things, there is hope. We are all works in progress. You know, one of the damaging things about sin is that it leads to shame. And shame is this thing of thinking that we're not worthy enough for connection. A lot of you would have heard of um, a researcher called Brené Brown, and she writes a lot on this topic. And this is what she said, I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And this is a byproduct of sin, that we feel this way. But it's not how God views us. You know, he wanted connection with us so much that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. We are being renewed. So if you're looking at your life and thinking, oh man, there's this stuff that I haven't worked it out yet, and it still feels like uh, it's still pinning me down, or I haven't put it completely to death, um, it doesn't mean that God's given up on you. It means that you're a work in progress, like the rest of us. And Paul says that this hope, this is for all of us. And the, the divisions that we sometimes see between people, you know, in and out, good enough, not good enough, educated, not educated, rich or poor, God doesn't view people that way. Because this is what he said, Paul writes in verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And is in all. You know, this list it, it includes a weird mixture of people who are, you know, considered holy, some who are considered unholy, 
some who are uncivilized and violent of, or of low status. Um, but none of those things define or separate God's people. Jesus is all and is in all. So whatever category you could use to write yourself off from God's love, he doesn't count it. Okay, so what do we do then? Um, let's move on to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. So for most of us, um, we wear clothes every day. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Praise God, says Mitch. <laughs> and, and when you think about it, um, every time you put on clothes, every time you dress, you've got some kind of anticipation of what's ahead. Um, so you dress for what you know is ahead of you in the day. Like uh, if it's work, you know you're going to put on work clothes. If you're going to the gym, you'll put on your active wear. <laughs> um, if you're going to a fancy dinner party, you'll get all flash. Um, even if you're just blobbing around home and you're in trackies and your ugly jumper, um, you know that you're, you've got that ahead of you, so that's okay. I think this is most extreme when you're packing a bag to go on holiday, right? Because you're just like, what is every scenario that I might encounter? <laughs> and so you end up like with most of your wardrobe in there. Um, but it's, it's thinking ahead. It's this intentional act of preparation. You know, it's, it's a decision. It's a choice. What am I going to put on? Because what of what, what's going to come ahead? And, and the other thing about clothes is that once you put them on, um, they go with you everywhere until you take them off again. So they're just with you everywhere you go. And so Paul is saying to clothe, to the Colossians, saying clothe yourselves in this certain way um, because this, this is an intentional act. It's a decision because of the life that's ahead of them. Um, and when they make the decision to clothe themselves with these things, it goes with them everywhere. And this is, this is for us. So he says to clothe uh, yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. This, this means recognizing the suffering of others and taking action to help. It's, it's a movement from the heart towards those who are in need. And, and often we read that Jesus was moved by compassion before he healed someone. So sometimes it can be practical needs. And, and Pedro spoke before about the, the baskets that come around for the compassion fund. That's so that we can meet practical needs that we encounter and we see them. You know, just recently, um, there was a post that went up on our Facebook page on our community notice board, which is a great thing to be a part of, so um, jump on that. Um, but just about um, one of our people, Monique, who needed some help around the yard, and um, there, was, there was a response of people who said, yeah, I can come and help out. I'll move some bark in the garden. Um, and it was just a practical way of, of helping out because she couldn't do it on her own. We, we sometimes put together these, these meal trains to help people if, um, you know, putting food on the table is going to be challenging for whatever reason. And it's a way of providing practical help. Sometimes compassion is more of a relational thing when someone's hurting or going through a tough time. And compassion in this sense, it means looking out for those who are hurting. It means being aware. And you know, for this kind of thing, a lot of the time, compassion can just look like being with someone and listening. 
Because most of the time, if you're going through hard stuff, you don't want everyone giving you advice on what to do. You, you want someone first to care. So clothing yourselves with compassion means training your heart to see others who need help um, or need a friend and taking action. Kindness. Clothe yourself with kindness. And I found this phrase, which I loved. It's being generous in spirit towards other people through actions. I thought that was great. Um, not just smiles and trying to be pleasant, <laughs> but choosing to act for the best of others, even when they've wronged you. Another, another little phrase to summarize kindness is, kindness is how love behaves. So it could be sending someone a message if you haven't seen them for a while. It could be offering to give someone a ride to church if they can't drive themselves. Clothe yourselves with kindness and, and humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Um, it doesn't mean having low self-esteem or being weak. It means having strength to build others up. And um, the pastor Rick Warren, he, um, he said this thing, which is sometimes misattributed to C.S. Lewis. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Um, the strength to build others up. And you know, our default orientation is, as humans is just to focus on ourselves. Um, so when people encounter someone who is truly humble, who will put other people first, who is willing to build others up, it's really refreshing and it's attractive. And Jesus was the ultimate, ultimate example of this, you know, choosing to wash the feet of his disciples, which was pretty gross. <laughs> and laying down his life for all of us. So if we're followers of Jesus, um, this means getting our identity from who we are in, in Him rather than from outward appearances. It means we don't have to have status or be on the stage or behind a microphone to feel important. It means we don't have to strive to establish ourselves over others or squeeze, squeeze other people's voices out. We don't have to try to appear to be invincible or we don't have to always be right. You know, saying, sorry, I was wrong, often requires more strength than blindly pretending to be right. So humility, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with gentleness and patience. So this is letting go of how we think things should go. You know, we can be so keen for things to happen our way and on our timeline that we can trample others in the process. So if you want to live this new life with Jesus, it's, that's not consistent with raging at the trainee cashier who's got your transaction wrong three times. It's not consistent with yelling abuse at a learner driver that you're stuck behind. Even if you're stuck behind a silver Toyota Starlet literally doing 25Ks down Centerway Road when you're running late. <laughs> As an abstract example. <laughs> um, <laughs> never happened. <laughs> Gentleness, gentleness and patience, clothe yourselves with it. And bearing with and forgiving one another. Um, and Paul here is writing about restoring relationships rather than holding on to hurt. And it reminds me of a quote, I think I've shared it here before. Um, this one is from C.S. Lewis. It says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Would you know what this practically looks like? <laughs> Excuse me while I run. What this practically looks like is sticking around to work things out, 
when things go bad. You know, back in those days, if you were in Colossae and you were a Christian, it was really easy to know which church you were part of. You were part of the Church of Colossae. <laughs> there weren't millions of options like there are today. It means that if they were going to grow, that they had to stick around and work out their tough stuff. But now, like today, if, if someone encounters like conflict or something that's not quite their way um, in church, they can just pick up and go down the road and, and start again. We don't grow that way. We need to practice bearing with one another. Otherwise, we won't grow. Um, and if you want an opportunity to love someone that's hard to love, just stick around at church. <laughs> It'll happen. Um, you know, when someone has a weird tradition or a family culture, give them grace. And, and, and the interesting thing about our church, we're, we're almost five years old, and we've, because people have been moving to the coast and there's lots of people from different backgrounds, lots of people from different church backgrounds, we have this kind of um, really dynamic, diverse mix of people. I love it. But from time to time, we're going to find things that kind of like rub against the values that we have or maybe just the previous ways that we've seen things done. Um, and please, I just want to encourage you, don't make that a reason for picking up and going. There, there are plenty of good reasons for doing that, but I don't think that's one of them. Uh, let's stick around. Let's work it out. Let's bear with one another and learn to forgive. Paul, uh, he writes that over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds all of them together. And love, just simply put, is wanting the best for another person and taking action to make it happen. And this is to be the garment that we put on daily. When I talked about Jim Wolf earlier, I kind of wanted to use it as, as an example, and I was a little bit gutted that, uh, to read an article that he'd gone back to um, drinking. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. It's like a once-off makeover isn't going to change your life. And sometimes we expect this to be the way our faith works. Um, but we need to continually, daily, choose to live in the new life that we have with Jesus. We need to put on love every day. Put on these clothes daily. Hey, look, I need to come into land. So I want to finish off this um, passage that we're going to look at today with um, verses 15 to 17, because Paul says that we don't do this alone. We actually seek Jesus together. So from verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, that's a passage to carry with you. It's a beautiful picture of what a thriving community of people living with Christ looks like. So the encouragement here is to pursue peace. That's inward peace and peace with each other. Often we pray for God's, rule, for God's peace to rule in each other's lives. And, and if you need more of God's peace in your life, get prayer. I love when we get to pray for people here and you can see just God's peace falls on them and it changes their heart. 
reach out to your community for this because that's what we're here for. And I know, I, I, I know that some of us here today need more of God's peace this morning. The encouragement is to teach each other. So get, get active about learning. Join a life group. Listen on a Sunday. <laughs> um, listen to the worship songs. And we're about to add a whole bunch of new worship songs into our playlist. Um, but we weigh them really carefully to make sure that they are songs of wisdom, that they're songs of biblical accuracy. But get together with people. Study the Bible. Share your experience. Find a mentor or be a mentor. And the final encouragement from Paul here is to be thankful. Let's always bring our gratitude to God. Let's recognize that every good thing comes from Him. Um, that this new life that we're talking about is only possible because of Jesus. So when we get together like this, let's bring our sto stories of God's goodness. Let's bring our wins, our mountaintop experiences, um, and offer it to Him as worship. So, we'll come into land here, because we've, we've been gifted this new life in Jesus. It's freely available for all of us. He's taken our, our old life, and He's given us a new one. That's available to us today. We can step into this reality, but we need to live like it. We need to realize that we've been raised with Him, and our old life, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's gone away. Let's live like this. Let's put on love towards our families. Let's put on love towards our friends. Let's put on love towards our co-workers, even our enemies. Let's put on love towards ourselves. God wants us to be people who bring His love everywhere. And that's His hope for all people. And it's His hope for our church. And it's our hope for you. It's His hope for you.